a cuppa and a good chinwag? The story has real-life stories to inspire and make you smile. Weekdays on Vision and on demand in the app. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 with Neil Johnson on Vision. And we're catching up now with David Jusek. He's part of a great ministry called Rough Cut Men in the USA. And he loves traveling out to Australia, speaking all around our country. We're going to hear a bit of his story today. Welcome along, David. Tell us a bit of your background. Where were you born and raised? Uh, I was actually born in Gainesville, Florida, which is where the University of Florida is. And uh, currently live in Sarasota, which is the Tampa Bay area. So I have basically been a Floridian my entire life by birth. Oh, very cool. And did you have like a religious upbringing uh, at all? Uh, absolutely not. Uh, in fact, that that's oddly enough, God was not invited to much of anything in my upbringing at all. Okay. And tell us a bit about your your faith journey then. How did you come to Christ? Well, that's a, a a long story or a short story. I'll give you the short version. Um, I lost a marriage and my kids and my house and everything basically but my car and the stuff that I had uh, in the boot. And I was driving over a bridge about, uh, it's about a hundred meters off the water. And it's a crisis bridge where once a week, someone jumps off this bridge. I wasn't a jumper. Um, but I, at that moment I was leaving the house that I just lost. I had lost my family. I'd lost my marriage. And I said, God, if you exist, this would be an outstanding time to show up. All these people in my previous, you know, previous 30 some odd years had been telling me that I need Jesus, but you don't really know how much you need him until he's all that you have. And I really felt at that moment uh, that that's what I needed to do. And every hair on my arm stood up and I drove down the other side of the bridge, a new creation in Christ. I was baptized in the Gulf of Mexico shortly thereafter and in ministry several years later. Uh, It was a, it was a real salt to Paul conversion experience for me, I think. Wow. So, so paint a picture for us. What what was life like for you uh, to lead up to that moment? What what the, what I call him Dave. Uh, what the, what my previous person was like before I became a new creation in Christ is that uh, uh, he uh, Dave was not a good person at all. A uh, lot of addictive behaviors, um, self centered, self righteous, uh, sarcastic not very nice to people in general. And it's interesting to be just the polar opposite of, you know, uh, under the, the shed blood of Jesus being completely different living with the Holy Spirit than I used to live. And uh, the interesting thing, of course, is that there are a lot of people that remember the old me. So I've had to go through my life lately and systematically introduce these people that remember the old Dave to this new creation in Christ named David. And so it's been a journey. Uh, it, you know, I think the journey never really ends. It's uh, there are, there are people that, that still throw rocks at me on social media. And there are people that still remember things that I did when I was 18 and I can't remember what I had for breakfast. And so uh, it's been, it's been a fun journey uh, yeah. watching God reach other people through my transformation, including my parents, which is a, an amazing win. Wow. And tell us a bit about your career. What kind of work have you been doing over the years? Well, for the first part of my adult life, I was in landscape design build and landscape maintenance. So I was mowing grass, and then uh, over time, uh, I 
progressed up the ladder, so to speak, and I was a divisional manager for a, a corporation in Seattle and, and Portland, Oregon, which is on the west coast of the United States. And I did that for a number of years. And then I relocated to Florida to take a job, uh, moved back to Florida to take a job in the same industry, and then spent the final couple of years before ministry in uh, high-end real estate development. So I was a home builder building golf course communities. Okay, fantastic. So you're pretty handy, mate. You've been around a bit. Tell us about your journey into ministry. Well, that journey is it was really a burden. Um, I remember telling my now wife, then friend, uh, Joni, that I uh, really you know, needed to know more about faith. And she said, well, you really need to be around a bunch of guys, you know, who can sow into you. And I said, well, you know a lot more about Jesus than most of the guys that I know. So I'll just have you be my accountability partner and my disciple maker. And she said, no, you need to be around men. And as I gathered that and got plugged into a couple of small groups, and then I did a two-year discipleship program, um, it became evident that I was really passionate about engaging men where they are. Uh, I'm not a theologian. I am a guy who says, look, it's okay to not be okay. We just can't stay there. Uh, I'm very transparent about my previous life, which tends to resonate with a lot of people. And I worked with Man in the Mirror, which is in Orlando, Florida, which is about three hours away from me, uh, doing primarily training and equipping pastors and men's leaders on the elements of sustainable ministry to men. And Rough Cut Men was birthed out of that almost by accident uh, at an event that I was speaking at in North Florida where a guy asked me if I would speak at his retreat. And I agreed to it because we were new in ministry and I heard the word honorarium and we were kind of hungry. (laughs) <laughs> uh, I had a seven hour dri- I had a I had a seven hour drive home to realize this massive mistake that I had just made because I did a four hour leadership training. I didn't know what I would talk about for an entire weekend. And when I got home, my wife suggested that I use the movie clips that I had accumulated that resonate with men uh, as parables. And that is the day that Rough Cut Men was birthed back in I think two thousand eight. And I know you've got a real connection to Australia. Tell us how that all happened. How it happened? Oh, uh, that's a funny story. I, I have, I've written two books, and I've got a pretty wide social media footprint, even back in you know, 2013, 2014. And uh, um, a, a bloke from Townsville, um, Australia. <laughs> <laughs> and I came home, and I told Joni, I said, you know, I just paid a guy in Australia $3 to read my book. <laughs> and she said, that's okay. He's going to invite us. He's going to invite us there to do ministry. And I said, yeah, well, out of your mouth into God's ears. And sure enough, he did. And everything just sort of snowballed from, from there. Uh, it started out with the Salvation Army, the Salvos, uh, up in Townsville, and then <clears throat> grew from there to do all of the Salvos retreats in 2018 in Queensland, New South Wales, and Victoria. Um, and then I do some things with City Point, which is in the Brisbane area. And God just kept opening these doors, big churches, small churches. Uh, the smaller churches are really where my where my passion is, is the outlying here in the States and also in Australia is the, the churches that are hours and hours away from any major metropolitan city that may not get the advantages of men's speakers and really good men's content. 
Um, and that's become a real passion of my wife's and, and mine is to, to do a lot of work in Australia. I think I, it's, this will, I'll be there, uh, coming up later in the year. Yeah. Um, and that, that will be my 16th trip uh, to either New Zealand or Australia over the last, well, since 2015. So I, I mean, I got a lot of mi- a lot of miles in the in an airplane. <laughs> Let's put it that way. Well, tell us where you're gonna where are you gonna be later in the year. What are you, what are your plans? Well, the plans are, uh, and our our plans are are kind of grand because we have this desire to make two trips every year uh, to Australia, once in July and once again in November, uh, to avail ourselves to churches that would like to do men's events. Yeah. Um, and with some of the some of the underwriting that we have, uh, we've got people that support us that have kind of taken care of the international airfare piece of it, making it a lot more attainable for smaller churches to bring us in to do an event with you know fifty or sixty men. Um, forthcoming, I know we've got uh, a retreat we're doing uh, in the middle of winter uh, in July in um, in the Brisbane area. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we've got some things. We've got some things in the works around that same time down in Adelaide, South Australia. Uh, and then right now we're still building the the work into the the the, the spring summertime, uh, November, early December. Uh, we'll see what God does with that. Also, but that, we're really trying to make ourselves available for churches all over Australia, from coast to coast, regardless of size. Uh, twice a year, uh, in July awesome. and then again in November. Fantastic, mate. And I know there's lots of men's ministries that are really focusing on mental health battles because lots of blokes struggle with, you know, PTSD, anxiety, depression, all sorts of problems, you know. What's your answer to that? What, what do you share with blokes that are going through a tough time like that? Well, it's interesting you say that because I've worked with the United States military, the Army, here in the States and overseas uh, for a number of years with the chaplain corps. And I also worked with the New Zealand defense force as well. And it's interesting that, that the plagues and the, the struggles that men face, whether they're in Australia or New Zealand or the United States all seem to be kind of the same. Uh, and they stem a lot around isolation. Isolation is one of those things that, uh, you know, the enemy does his best lying when you're by yourself. And yeah. so when you sit there and uh, many men are struggling with uh, identity issues because their fathers never said, I love you, or said, you know, you were a mistake, or you'll never amount to anything, or you were no good, just like your brother. And these are the things that guys carry with them through life. And so the real remedy to that is just to introduce them to who God says they are, yeah. uh, so that they understand you are not an accident, you're fearfully and wonderfully made. Um, mental, it's amazing, the anxiety, the things that uh, Jesus was very specific uh, Paul was very specific in telling us not to be anxious about anything and in everything with prayer and petition and thanksgiving, present our request to God and the peace of God uh, that surpasses all understanding will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And I, I think when guys are alone, which is our overarching mission, is to make sure that every David has a Jonathan, that every Moses has an Aaron on one arm and a her on the other, uh, so, because it's not a matter of if life is going to knock us out, it's it's when. And when that happens, whether it's a, a mental issue, an identity issue, isolation, addiction, uh, we we our, our chances of survival increase by a factor of a thousand if we have another man in our life to drag us off of the battlefield when 
were blown up, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really something that I'm seeing a lot of fruit in what we do is that men who were traveling by themselves are dealing with broken marriages and prodigal children and issues with father wounding uh, by walking through that valley with another guy. Yeah, mate, it's so important. And, you know, there's been a lot of talk over the years that a lot of churches uh, aimed at women and the music's aimed at women and, you know, it's just very female-focused. But we need to be a a bit more accommodating to blokes in our churches. What's What's your answer to that? Well, I, I absolutely agree, and I don't think it's really the fault of, of anyone in particular. I mean, you think about it. We had uh, we went from being agricultural-minded in the 1800s, and then we had, at least here in the States, we had an industrial revolution, and then we had two world wars where all the men were gone. Um, and by that point, everything had sort of, the, the women became the de facto spiritual leaders of the family because dad wasn't there. And then when when dad came back, uh, it just continued where the women had become the spiritual leader. So there are little things that can be done. I mean, making sure that men are recognized, making sure that in the bulletins in the church that the men's ministry is pointed out as well. And one of the big ouches I've discovered in church budgets is oftentimes we have an an inordinate amount of money for missions and children. Uh, We might do a marriage retreat, but but mama is always the one that invites him, not the other way around. Um, Oftentimes men's ministry doesn't even have a budget line item at the church, and they're left to fend for themselves and raise their own funds to do whatever it is that they would like to do. And again, men stay kind of a, 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 a centimeter deep and a kilometer wide and don't actually ever really talk about what's really going on because they don't trust anybody. And the, the church does a great job of, hey, we're going to get together the first Saturday of every month. We're going to you know, burn some bacon and <laughs> do a 30-minute devotion. And, and that's really what we've left men with. So uh, to redefine ministry to men, first, by putting the onus of connection back on the men themselves to create a desire that they don't even know that they have, and then it becomes much easier to guide this men's ministry ship. First thing, put it on your website so that, you, that men know that there is a place for them. Um, maybe get rid of some of the flowers, you know, up the, as Pat Morley says, up the man code a little bit so that we don't walk in with, you know, frilly flowered uh, draperies on the windows <laughs> and bright pink carpet. Uh, simple things like that, even if you create a space for men to go to, you know, give them the overflow room that you don't need anymore and make it the men cave. Whatever you got to do to at least allow men to feel like they belong in the church. Recognize them on Father's Day. You know, just have them all stand up. Make Make a big deal out of the spiritual leaders of the church, because really, if you get men right, you can fix the world, yeah. uh, and that's the church's. You know, one of the church's roles is to train up the spiritual leaders because the enemy of our souls has figured out if I take out a man, I can ruin the marriage, the kids, and the generational legacy that comes after him just by taking out one man. Yeah. And that's why it's so critically important as a church that we rally around our men. Mate, that is so awesome what you're saying, and we're chatting to David Jusek from Rough Cut Men. Uh, a couple of books available at the website, I notice. There's one called Rough Cut Men. The other one is called The Battle, Tactics to Biblical Manhood. If people want to search them up, they can go to roughcutmen.org. 
uh, and you'll also find uh, Rough Cut Men on all the socials and search up David Jusak as well. Mate, it is so good to hear uh, that uh, God is using you in the States, also here in Australia. Um, hopefully we can meet face-to-face together one day. Uh, it's been awesome to chat with you, mate. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au. 